Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the latest installment of the Run to Daylight podcast. I'm your host, Todd Burrows at Todd from PA, and returning champion TJ Hernandez is with me today. We're going to discuss a underdog article. He did his normal stellar in-depth work, um, and this is the first time with video with TJ, so it's actually, you actually feel like you meet someone for the first yeah. time, um, even though TJ was nice enough to be on my podcast four or five times. This podcast is brought to you by the FFPC. Now they have uh, taken it up a notch with DraftPilot. You can uh, set your lineups and, and everything that you want so that you can have the draft you want, even if you're busy. Never get auto-picked again with DraftPilot. Go to myffpc.com and check it out. TJ, welcome. I um, As soon as I saw that you did an article, I didn't even read it yet. And I said, I know this is something I'm going to want to, A, read, and B, have you on the podcast about. Welcome, and thank Thanks, you for man. coming back on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's that time of year where uh, there's a lot of data being thrown around, and that's that's my thing. So I, we got um, a bunch of new underdog data. The guys over there have been really generous with um, helping us out and helping the industry out in general um, with providing us some data for the big tournament, the best ball mania from last year. So it's been fun to dive into that and uh, look at strategies for this year's tournament, which I, I assume we're both going to be firing at heavy because that's what we're talking about today, right? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm more in, I'm into this FFPC best ball. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, I mean, the 125 isn't my favorite, but I'm right now I'm planning to do about 60 to 70 of those. Sure. Um, I feel like, I, I, you know, I hate having a really good, like twice I got to the Scott Fishbowl and lost getting to the finals by like one and a half points and, you know, and come in second place. I love in the FFPC how two teams advance from each league and then three teams each of the three weeks advance. So I feel like it, it, it really, you know, that's an article I haven't seen anyone write about. But that dynamic, to me, changes the way you can draft. For because sure. Because it, 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 to me, it makes me want to be a little less fragile because my feeling is if I can get to that last week, I'll take my shot. Yeah, I, I think um, I think there's definitely some nuance across tournament structures depending on the exact structure, especially with the playoffs and, and things such as how many teams advance. But uh, – the main thing, no matter the tournament that you're playing in, whether it's Underdog, FFPC, or another website, is predominantly you still have to get out of your league or at least, I, I think, uh, top two or top Absolutely. three, depending on the site. Top two. You, you, you have to advance. That's the first thing you have to do, and, and that's kind of the idea behind um, the article that I wrote and, and a lot of the study I'm, studies I'm doing. Like We're still aiming to win our, our 12-man league, right? That's still really important, or at least be in that mix for winning your 12-man league. Uh, and another thing about these tournaments is it's kind of 
similar to the early DFS days because we haven't had we've had a couple um, best ball tournaments. We have obviously best ball mania and, and FFPC has been running them. Uh, draft a couple of years ago, which which was acquired by Underdog, I believe. Um, they were doing a tournament, but we still haven't had that many. We, the, the point is, the sample size on these tournaments is still pretty low. So I don't want to say we're taking things with a grain of salt, but I think probably in a couple of years, we're going to look back at the first one or two years and say, oh, we completely overlooked some of these things like we did in DFS that's going to evolve. So we're very much in the infancy of best ball tournaments and, and things could change uh, just as quickly as we come up with these theories for this year. Yeah, I agree. And, and actually there's a question in here uh, that kind of addresses that. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but I, uh, I, I was having a conversation with one of the guys from Rotoviz, and they've been analyzing the results from the FFPC's slim drafts. Uh, but the slim drafts are less than one full year of best ball. Right. And, there was, and, and it was very much the weaker sister to the uh, FFPC 28-round draft last year. Sure. So, uh, you know, my thing is, sure, you want to do your research and you want to be smart and and get as much information as you can but you also have to realize that whether it's dfs or something like this sample size is something that has to be considered yeah and i mean just as much as as we want to pay attention to um the data that we're going to talk about and, and our findings in studies like this also considering if people like us are discussing them and, and other people like uh, Justin Herzig from ETR and the Rotoviz guys, if, if a lot of us are discussing the same things, then does that mean a lot of people are going to be adopting these similar strategies and is it time to zig what everybody else says? I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that a, a little yep, bit. That's, that's on, question but, number two, but, basically. I mean, yeah, yeah. And question number one does have to do with Justin. I had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. It was a great um, podcast. He won the tournament with a yep. four running back build. Yep. I, I, I've seen this approach really catch on this year, but your research shows from underdog, which is what we are talking about, that there are a lot of other ways to get to the playoffs. Yep. But you know, the fact that Justin won has kind of taken his theory and moved it to the, mm -hmm. to the uh, forefront but what I liked about your article is that it shows that there were more more ways than just going for uh, early running backs uh, to get to that advancing that you spoke of. Yeah, and and I think um, Justin would would uh, admit this just as much as as I would like to talk about. I mean, when we're talking about these roster construction techniques, and and I. I should say the reason we talk about running backs first is because it's going to kind of shape your overall draft. How many running backs you're drafting early is going to shape how many you take overall as well as how many receivers you're going to take overall because if, if you're loading up on running backs early, you're going to need more receivers. Um, and then quarterbacks and, and tight ends, we kind of have this tighter range where you're just taking two or three no matter what. Uh, but but the point being, I think Justin would, would say, I don't want to speak for him, but if you're drafting – hundreds of teams, if you're max entering these tournaments, uh, you're going to find yourself with all different types of strategies. Now, if you're somebody uh, that wants to predominantly draft four running backs and stick with that and, and have the, these hyper-fragile type builds, sure, you're going to have those, but 
uh, oftentimes the draft isn't going to allow you to have certain drafts. It's going to fall different ways. And, and going into drafts with a predetermined strategy is going to be tough. I mean, drafting, you know, starting with, with uh, the 1.1, 1.01 is going to give you a lot different look at the draft than starting with the 12th pick overall. So sure, he won with, with four running backs, but uh, like DFS, we're just kind of looking for a framework for what's working. And, and just because one strategy won doesn't mean it's the only strategy that that can win. We've done a lot of work on roster construction in general, and we have these kind of boundaries that we want to stay within. With running backs, it's usually about four to six. Um, and we saw with the $5 uh, tournament that Underdog is, is going to be running shortly, the winner from that tournament was circulating his lineup last week, and, and he won that with uh, six running backs and six wide receivers, so kind of the, the polar opposite of what Justin's talking about. So, um, di- like you said, definitely different strategies, but some that are more prevalent or look to be uh, higher win rates than others. Yeah, I, you know, ultimately to me, what, what any fantasy sports comes down to is putting up the most points, right? right. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. Right. We've seen, you know, you do, you do extensive Millie Maker breakdowns every year of the DraftKings. And while there are certain tactics that win more, every year we see, you know, people winning with two low priced running backs, people winning with uh, two high priced running backs. Uh, it, it's, it, I think it's going to be the same thing here. And um, and that's where my my second question came in, and I just completely deleted it. Um, but it's it's true that the, the more popular any strategy becomes, the more likely it becomes that it's not as effective. Sure. Um, that yeah. So the the thing you're talking about is is exactly what you're talking about with DFS. I mean, um, if every single lineup is is paying up for a running back in a tournament then obviously we're going to see the winner paid up for a running back in a tournament because no one else tried a different strategy. So, so that's going to be the one that uh, we're talking about a selection bias here, right? That, that's the selection bias that's going to come out of it. So that's why I kind of broke up my research the way I did. I, I took teams that advanced to the playoffs, those that didn't, um, and looked at the rates of these strategies compared to the field. So, for example, um, one of the, the biggest differences that we saw – I looked at early round strategy and how many teams went with a true zero running back approach. Now, overall, the, the rate was pretty low. Like the, the rate for the entire field was around 5%. Um, but if we look at teams that advance or teams that 5% league, did zero running back. Right. But if we look at, at teams that won their league, that number was up to 6.4%. If we looked at the field, that number was below 4%. So there was a huge discrepancy, almost a two-thirds uh, increase in the rate of teams among winners that were zero running back compared to the field that went zero running back. So uh, when we look at it that way, what percentage of the field compared to what percentage of winners were with a certain strategy, that's how we could kind of parse out some of those things that you're talking about, getting rid of some of that selection bias. Yeah. And just so that we're clear, because it's funny, like I've read the original zero running back article a number of times 
it's not just about when you take running backs, but the type of running backs that you take when you take them. Um, it, it, but it, for the purpose of what you're talking about here, um, unless I'm incorrect, you're zero running back by definition in this article is no running backs taken in the first four rounds, correct? That, that's how I defined it in this article. Yeah, that's that's not necessarily the strict definition, but I mean, Sean Siegel's article back in um, when, when that became popularized, that was based on um, on, a, on a redraft tournament, and, and a lot of those concepts had to do with um, using trades, uh, using the waiver wire, which we obviously don't have available to us in best ball, which is why we put emphasis not just on the zero running back, but further into the study, like I did, how many running backs are you taking overall? When are you taking them based on that early round strategy? And one thing Sean Siegel pointed out that often gets overlooked, when Sean Siegel won his the, the, the tournament with a zero running back strategy, that was part of a portfolio that used balanced running back, uh, robust running back. It just happens that the zero running back uh, team one, and, and that's kind of what I was talking about earlier when you were asking me about Herzig's strategy running, winning with just four with the hyper fragile build. I will have hyper fragile builds. I'll also have builds where I end up with two running backs in the first two rounds. It's just how are you going to weight uh, these strategies depending on how many teams you're drafting? Like, there, there's no cut and dry, we should do one thing 100% of the time. Yeah, ultimately, players win championships, not strategies. And what I what I always say is that I want to know how each strategy works. Mm -hmm. And I, I used to be a carpet installer, and I would keep different tools in my toolbox. Sometimes I you know I could go to eight nine jobs and never use this one tool, but when the job presented itself and I needed it, I was glad to have it. You know I don't go out of my way to, to do any strategy. Like you said, I'm much more dependent on where's my draft position and what's showing on the board i'm not going to pass i never am going to drop a tier for a strategy sure. but i will mix and use different um different tiebreakers uh by weeks stacking my overall exposure in my portfolio as tiebreakers uh and then also how how the board looks and and what might be there when i'm going to pick next so um I, I, you know, I find that all this talk about strategy can be actually very good for my game because while everyone else is trying to do a strategy, I'm trying to draft the best team possible. Sure. Uh, and, and, and you end up with a mix because every draft board is different. Every position is different. Um, you said that even when drafting that magical four running backs in the first round, um, the win rate, <clears throat> uh, um, you know, taking four straight running backs, the, what was the win rate when that team, uh, when, when those four running backs in the first four rounds or four out of the first five rounds, what was the win rate with four versus five total running backs? Uh, so we, the, the win rates were, were fairly similar. I think the, the takeaway from this was that when comparing the, the league winners, so it's not specifically a win rate, but it's when comparing 
the league winners to the, the non-league winners or the teams that did not advance is that when they did draft three or four running backs in the first four round, they typically stuck to five or fewer running backs at a much higher rate than the teams that didn't advance. So basically, if you were a team that loaded up on running backs early, it was very advantageous to not continue drafting the position. I, I think um, from from redraft and just psychologically, people will load up on, on running backs and they want to protect their assets, right? So they, they have three running backs in the first four rounds or, or even four, but they say, hey, what if one of these guys gets hurt? I still want somebody to plug in those points. But the point in best ball, especially in these tournaments, is if you're putting that much investment in the early round running backs and one of them or even two of them gets hurt, your season's probably screwed anyway. So no matter what you do later on, it's going to be really hard to advance or win your league. Uh, so a lot of that is the fragility. That's that the is fragility the fragility right. that's built into that team. Exactly. So the teams that accepted that risk and said, listen, I already invested heavily in the running back. I might add one or two more guys those teams typically advance at a much higher rate than the teams that said, I have three running backs in the first four rounds, but I'm still going to end up with six running backs, sometimes even seven. And and you might look at a roster construction and say, well, this guy started with three in the first round. This guy started with three in the first round. Is it really that big of a difference if one ends up with six running backs and one's, one end up, ends up with five? And, and I would argue, yes, absolutely, because – that it's going to be really hard for that six running back to ever crack your starting lineup with three studs without an injury. Whereas if you're weak at these other positions and you're getting a third tight end or an eighth wide receiver, those players are going to have a higher likelihood to crack your starting lineup. And again, we don't have to pick when that week is that it's optimized for us. So we're trying to maximize the upside of every single position and it's all intertwined. It's all related. If you're giving yourself maximum opportunity at the other positions when you invest in another one very highly that shows up in the results yeah uh something that i picked up in my study of dfs last year that i think it was blender from roto grinders uh mentioned to me is every lineup you build basically with you know whether it's in dfs your high salary players Mm -hmm. or in a best ball your early round picks you're building that draft as if those guys are going to be successful. And right. I think that's a mindset exactly. that uh, that's a mindset that I don't think the average drafter has. And mm-hmm. it answers a lot of the very um, basic questions that guys like us get, uh, like, do you handcuff a running back? And the answer is no, unless that guy is a value on his own. Right. Like it, if, it, exactly. It, it, once in a while, like if Madison is there so late and he's a round and a half after I would normally see him and I've got Dalvin Cook, sure, I'll take him. Um, but I'm doing it because I need a fifth running back and I think I'll get my value out of him. But you have to build every team as if your early round picks are going to be successful. And then it puts you in the right mindset to build the the rest of your draft, correct? Yeah, no, 100%. I- I was going, you kind of took the words out of my mouth. I was going to use the the handcuffing analogy myself because I think it's one that, that redraft users can, can really relate to, people that haven't played a lot of best ball. Um, and the, the reason that we usually don't like, if we're talking from a pure handcuff strategy, 
the reason that isn't going to work is, um, I mean, you use the Dalvin Cook and, and Alexander Madison example. If you think Alexander Madison's going to get almost no work when Dalvin Cook's healthy, then you're using two roster spots on basically one position. Whereas if you're in a very deep league and you don't draft Dalvin, then and you end up with Alexander Madison at the end of your bench. So you have a Derrick Henry. If Dalvin goes down, that's where you really benefit that's from the fragility. Now you have a Derrick Henry and the Dalvin Cooper replacement. Or if you have Dalvin and Alexander Madison, you lose Dalvin to get the Madison or the other team. He had now he's doubled up. He's benefited. He's already strong, and he's getting he's doubling up on the team that lost that advantage um so that's kind of how i'm thinking about these best balls already it's it's not a it's obviously not an apples to apples not handcuffing but we're looking to not only get our in this case our running back our first second third round running backs to succeed if if we go that route but we also want that fourth or fifth running back to be somebody that is usable as well one thing that you mentioned in your article, and I've never thought of it in exactly these terms, um, but something that I do when I draft is another one of my tiebreakers is if I've got three running backs and I've got one wide receiver and I'm really torn between two guys, I will take the wide receiver because I'm a value drafter at heart. And there's nothing more frustrating than coming up to a great value and you can't take that guy because you've already got too many at that position. Um, you call it the player value trap. Can yeah. you explain what you mean by that for everyone and, 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 and why it's so important to avoid it? Yeah, I, it's, I think it's especially important in these best ball leagues, and, and it's kind of um, just the, the, the back end of what we were talking about when we saw these, uh, these drafters that will invest heavily in um, – in a position early and then continue to draft the position. And it's not only a psychological uh, uh, thing where um, they want to protect their investment, but somebody that might be more ingrained in fantasy might be susceptible to this, where they're drafting a, a, a ton of uh, teams right now and are very in tune with what the values are. So again, let's go back to the example where maybe you start a draft with uh, a Derrick Henry and um, a, a Christian McCaffrey. I'm sorry, a, a, a Derrick Henry and a Clyde Edwards. Antonio two, two, Yeah, two in the first two rounds. And, and you've kind of laid out that in those scenarios, you're going to load up on your wide receivers for the next five or six rounds in your pass catch, whatever it might be. You have the strategy set, and then you come around to, say, a Mike Davis, and he's – typically going in the fourth to fifth round. You see him dropping in the fifth to sixth round, and now you think, oh, well, this guy's a value. I have to draft him. He's fallen, you know, almost a full round below his ADP. And this is how we, we're good at fantasy. We we take values, but that's that player value trap. You see that player value, and it's, it's still only a round of value, and you really ruin your roster construction or the upside of your team. Remember, we're talking about tournament. We're talking about trying to beat 155,000 people. We're not talking about trying to beat 11. Um, so a little bit, squeezing a little bit of value and sacrificing upside in terms of roster construction just isn't worth it in this specific type of uh, game structure. Yeah, so if you've got four running backs 
and you're in the seventh, eighth round, and you see Michael Carter there, right. or it's the ninth round, right? Yeah. And he's yeah. normally going a round or two earlier. Yeah. By you taking a guy, even though he's a value, you made mm-hmm. a great point earlier, as your fifth running back in the ninth round, he might never see yeah. your he might never he might only put up two usable weeks right for you as a fifth running back where your third wide receiver there you you might use every week and right. then yeah. and then what happens is you get to the fit you know now you're you're bleeding points at wide receiver every week with a guy sitting on your bench and that's kind of what you mean by the value trap yeah and and you're gonna have that I mean, you'll have your nice warm blanket saying, listen, I knew what I was doing. Michael Carter was being drafted as the running back 34, and he finishes the running back 20. He blew away his ADP. But you just aren't getting – you're not being able to use that. That's not contributing to your team at all. It's all about team contributions. And if you're getting – it doesn't matter if he finishes the RB20. If he's not putting finding his way into your lineup, his 12 or 14 fantasy points might as well be a zero. Um, so that, that's what I mean by the player value trap. Yep. And and then another thing is people now are all assuming that running backs are the only way you can be fragile. I mean, yes, people do know about zero running back, but if you want to build a fragile team, there's a number of ways that you can do it, TJ. Yeah, for sure. Especially in this, this structure, the, um, in this best ball format where we are, limited to the team we draft, not able to draft, uh, or I'm sorry, not able to use the waiver wire or these trades. So, I mean, fragility comes in a lot of ways. I mean, look at something as, as narrow down as the quarterback position. If if you invest in a Patrick Mahomes or, or a Josh Allen, guys that are going in the top four rounds, uh, oftentimes in, in strategies I've laid out in other articles, we're typically going to stick to two quarterbacks. If Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen gets hurt, those teams are screwed. That's a very fragile team, right? So, again, like you talked about, we're looking to benefit uh, from our draft picks. We are expecting our picks to be as good as we expect them to be and and drafting as such. And if you're drafting tens or hundreds of teams, um, your portfolio is typically going to play out as you expect. Yeah, the the other way I I tend to explain it is, my leverage on my Pat Mahomes teams are all the lineups where I don't have Pat Mahomes. So if I end right, up with 15, exactly. when I have 15% of Patrick Mahomes, it means I have 85% leverage against my Patrick. If he gets hurt week one, my 85% leverage is all those teams where I don't have him. Um, and the other thing that's been kind of interesting this year is that I've noticed, especially in the FFPC, quarterbacks are going much earlier than they they have in previous years. And so I'm much more likely to take a Patrick Mahomes because Josh Allen goes five, six picks after, then Kyler goes three picks later, and the whole first tier, 30 picks later, the whole first tier is gone. Typically, the reason you avoid that number one quarterback in the fourth round is because it's 30 picks to the next quarterback and 60 or 70 picks to the end of the first tier. Um, how a draft board changes should affect the way we look at long-held beliefs and strategies. Yeah, and those things all come down to opportunity cost, right? I mean, the reason in a typical redraft league where you have waivers and, and you can stream the, the position is because 
typically the quarterback um, fantasy graph has been very linear. The the it's it's been a, a steady decline from quarterback one to like the quarterback twenty, and you're often able to find the quarterback twenty through twenty four that can give you top twelve numbers, replacement level numbers on a weekly basis. Already in best ball, we if you've played best ball for multiple seasons, you should have noticed that. All of the positions, or especially the, the onesies, the quarterbacks, the tight ends, their ADP is going to be slightly higher than you see in your typical redraft league because pretty much all the starters are being drafted. Everybody's drafting two or three uh, quarterbacks. Everybody's drafting two or three tight ends. So the demand is higher. So we're going to need to draft uh, those guys slightly earlier. When we look at has what happened in recent years, it only compounds that fact with quarterbacks because we have these very efficient passers that are now dual threat quarterbacks. And we saw the top eight or nine quarterbacks just lapping the field last year. So we don't have a linear quarterback graph anymore. We have one that has a very steep drop off after these elite guys. So I'm trying to get top seven or eight guys as often as possible in my best ball leagues. A lot of times that means taking a quarterback in the fifth, sixth round, even if you aren't on the Mahomes or Allen second or third round ADP, but Starting off with the non-mobile quarterback, the guys that are elevated, um, inefficient offenses, the field can lap you. Uh, so, I mean, that's we're talking about running backs, but that ties right into my best ball strategy this year. Back to running backs. Um, one thing that you talk about in your article that I haven't really seen mentioned in other articles before, TJ, is when to stop drafting running backs is as important uh, as almost anything can you explain why? Yeah, I mean, one thing that we've looked at it for, for, for not for underdog specifically, but just for um, other best ball sides uh, across the board, is that, you know, when are these positions going to have hit rates? Now, again, quarterbacks and tight ends are going to be fairly obvious because there's only so many usable ones uh, that you don't want to get left behind. You don't want to be drafting the, the quarterback 32 as your quarterback two, same for tight ends. Uh, wide receiver, the pool is very deep. We have a lot of usable wide receivers. So a lot of times you can get all the way to the end of your draft, find some wide receivers, rookies, uh, uh, second or third year players that are going to be able to contribute sometimes find their way into your roster. At running back, it's been very rare that we find uh, running backs that are usable at the very end of draft. So depending on your league structure, uh, Beyond the 16th round, those those last round running backs just have a, a, a extremely low hit rate compared to other positions. Now the hit rate is going to be low across the board. That's why these players are are being taken low. But particularly with running backs, it's very low. And then on top of that, just like we've talked about with roster construction, the the earlier that you invest in a position, the less of those players you're going to need. If you take three or four running backs in the first four rounds, you can end up with just five running backs. Similarly, you can end earlier on your running backs. Uh, we see a, a huge percentage of league winners that drafted four running backs in the first round. A lot of those guys just stopped, and that's Justin Herzig's approach. That's the hyper-fragile strategy. He stopped at four running backs, um, and a lot of successful teams did that. Other teams didn't draft any in the middle when they took four in the first four rounds and only drafted one more somewhere in that like 10 to uh, 10, round 10 to round 16 range. Uh, 
For the rest of the draft strategies, it was spread out a little more. But what we typically saw is that teams were getting their last running back somewhere in that like 12 to 16 round range and not going beyond that. But also, maybe as importantly, not loading up on these middle round running backs, not getting their fifth or sixth running back in the eighth round. It's either start early and stop, take a couple early, and end um, end in those late rounds, but very few successful teams are starting with running back and just continuing on like throughout those middle rounds. So that's important because when we talk about this roster construction, you know, I, I made proper roster construction. I ended up with six running backs. Yeah. Well don't get six in the first right now. First nine rounds, take a couple early, take a couple relatively late, but we do kind of see that, that running back dead zone that's been discussed by, um, by some other uh, fantasy football gurus. Well, and that and that's the advantage to guys like you and I, who have a little more subtlety to the way that we do things. And it's not a put down of the average drafter, but I've noticed that you can lead horses to water, but they won't drink. Like even the the hyper fragile four running back strategy, I'll I'll see draft boards where guys take four running backs, but they'll take one in the first, one in the second, one in the ninth, and one in the fourteenth. And that team is probably dead, right? I mean, uh, you know, unless they really get lucky with some injuries, yeah. uh, that team is probably donating. Uh, and, and they're thinking to themselves, well, I did four running backs, like, like exactly. Justin said. Exactly. Um, you know, uh, even Justin says in his articles that the last roster spot is meant to strengthen the weakest part of his team. Right. And, and and that last spot doesn't have to be round 18. It could be round 15 where you see where it's headed and you say, oh, man, I got four I got four running backs, but they're not strong enough. I'm going to take a, you know, a Latavius Murray or a, a, a Rashad Penny. I'm going to take that fifth running back and then I'll just take wide receivers out the back end. So um, think about the overall strength of your team. When you're drafting, do you hear that background noise? A little bit. I don't know what that's from. Give me one sec. You there? Do you still hear it? No. Okay. I should have mentioned it like 10 minutes ago. Sorry about um, that. It's all right. Um, so nothing in fantasy football is more controversial than zero running back. Um, you know, it's either it's either loved or loathed. And, and to me, it's just another strategy as a draft board comes up. But how did true zero running backs do? Teams do in best ball. You mentioned they did pretty well. Yeah, and again, it, it wasn't um, a, a strategy that necessarily dominated in terms of numbers. Uh, there, there wasn't a huge percent of drafters that went with a true running back approach. But what we saw, what the important point is, the rate at which it succeeded and the rate at which it worked compared to the field um, was very high. We saw almost almost sixty five percent higher. Uh, the rate of teams that went true running back that advanced this to the to the uh, playoffs than those that didn't. Uh, and again, that's just it, it's last. We do have to take these things with a bit of a grain of salt. Last year was, uh, if we go back 
2010. It was the fewest number running backs we see get at least uh, two-thirds of the work. Some of that had to do with injuries. Some of that had to do with just teams going with more of a platoon approach. Um, but it was a bit of an outlier year. So we, we did see a little bit of inflated success with zero running back. But there is also the other perspective of – Zero running back is a strategy that you have to be really confident in one. And most people that are taking an approach to zero running back are not only doing their homework, but probably just pretty sharp drafters. So a lot of these zero running back guys are typically going to be better fantasy uh, evaluators. They're going to understand value a little bit better. And they're going to understand how to execute this approach. They're they're going to understand upside. So one thing that I noticed that we, we talked about kind of that like four to six running back range, the rate of zero running back drafters that ended up with seven running backs, that number really outpaced the the uh, when we looked at the winners compared to teams that did it in advance. Uh, of the, some teams that uh, took zero running backs were a little hesitant to go up to that seven or sometimes even eight running back number, um, and that is outside the the bounds of what we often see in a roster construction approach with the uh, limitations that we have for roster and underdog. Um, but when they executed it properly, when they took seven running backs and limited themselves to, to two quarterbacks and two tight ends, resulting in a two seven seven two build. Uh, those teams are often very successful too. So I think it's kind of a uh, amalgam of all these things. Zero running back drafters being confident, often being sharper drafters, and then understanding how to build that upside into it. The rate of success for zero running back was a lot higher than we saw with other strategies. When did you see the successful zero running back teams take the running backs last year? You know, uh, because this is one of those things that people, mm-hmm. uh, again, I don't think they really understand. And you'll see people do, I did zero running backs and they won't take one till the ninth round. Right. And then they'll take seven or eight. Um, you know, when I do zero running back, it's normally the fifth or sixth round when I take yeah. my first one. Um, and then I'll wait a couple rounds, take my second one. And then do uh, I'm not afraid to go seven, and then add four or five after that. Um, what did the numbers show? Yeah, so where we really started to see a spike, and this is kind of a, a reverse of um, uh, of your question, but we where we started to see the spike in, in when zero running back drafters took their last running back was around uh, around the thirteenth or fourteenth round. So that means these these uh, Players were not, these drafters were not drafting running backs in the fourth round and then often being done with their running backs somewhere in that round 12, uh, round 13 to round 16 range. Where so, the cliff so, happens at running back. Exactly. So we're seeing teams not draft any running backs in the fourth round and then, uh, through the first four rounds, I'm sorry, and then getting five to six in rounds five through, say, 14, 15, 16. So that only gives you a uh, a nine, maybe 10 round window to get six or seven running backs. So to answer your question, yeah, they're starting somewhere around five or six. You're not going to be able to take six or seven running backs in a row. That's just going to be preposterous because they're, even though we did talk about the player value trap, there are going to be players you want to target other positions you need to fill, namely uh, quarterback and tight end, presume, presuming that you're 
you have quite a few wide receivers who aren't drafting any, any running backs early. So around that round six is where these zero running back drafters kind of started and then still ending somewhere between rounds 13 and 16. Last question for me today, TJ. Last year, you mentioned him in the opening. You were all over the Bills and Josh Allen. Yeah. Um, hopefully you won a lot of money with that. Uh, it, yeah, who it are the te- What's that? It was a good year. It was a good year. I'm glad. Yeah, you deserved year. it, man, because you were yeah. way out in front on it, and you were absolutely right. Uh, what are some teams that you think people might be sleeping on this year um, that maybe aren't going to have the success of the Bills, but are going to really pay off handsomely for drafters? I think two that really stand out to me uh, right now are the Bengals and Dolphins. We saw um, we saw Joe Burrow come in last year, and, and they didn't you know tear the roof off every building they walked into. But Joe Burrow, uh, top ten fantasy points per game for uh, for rookie quarterbacks in this century. He's a guy that uh, does have enough mobility where he can kind of be in that that top like nine to ten. Uh, rushes per game category, which is kind of where we want to be when we have an efficient passer. Uh, and then they just really struggled with with the deep ball last year. They're one of the worst deep ball teams in the league. Um, and now they add uh, Jamar Chase, who arguably uh, the best deep ball receiver in in recent college history. Um, if you you put him up there with one of the de- best deep ball receivers ever in college, so that's going to add an element to that offense where already very um, a team that has already trended towards the pass um, until the very end of of last year after Burrow got hurt. Um, And now one of the better receiving cores uh, in the league, I think with, um, with Higgins Boyd and, and now chase. And then the dolphins, they've obviously really addressed uh, offense bringing in Will Fuller, who's been one of the most dynamic receivers in the league, uh, drafting Jalen Waddle, who's going to fit in, I think really nicely as a rookie. I don't think he's a guy that you, like a Jamar Chase who's going to come in and, and be a, a alpha wide receiver one, but you got Fuller there. Uh, you got Devontae Parker who has been uh, who was good two years ago and then was good in, in uh, segments last year and really saw his target share go up with with Tua last year, even though that did coincide with a few injuries. And Mike Osecki, one of the good uh, one of the best young tight ends in the league. Obviously, the the uh, verdict is still out on Tua, but this is a team they were already top ten in neutral passing rate last year. With all of these players, we often see quarterbacks take a second year leap, uh, and and if Tua is able to take that leap with these guys, I think it's an offense that can be in that top five passing rate and. All of them um, extremely cheap. I think Waddle's going somewhere. Uh, Waddle and Fuller are going somewhere 10, around like 70 to 80. Yeah, and then um, and then Devontae Parker much later. Gasecki on that fringe tight end one range, and, and Tua well outside of QB one range. So that's the offense. Very that, easy to stack. I, I haven't very, really very done easy it. To stack. And then uh, late, late. I, I guess it's late for me. It's it's June, so early for some people. But late in my research process, I'm slowly coming around on the Giants. Um, they've added a lot of weapons, and, and Daniel Jones might just be bad. This is a make-or-break year for him, and if it starts off ugly, uh, who knows? He, he might get the yank, but like the Dol- they're even cheaper than the Dolphins and um, arguably deeper. Uh, Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Mark Ingram, uh, I'm sorry, Evan Ingram, uh, Saquon Markley, a lot of guys that, that can catch the ball there. Best ball, we don't have to figure out when the good weeks are. So if you want to load up on some of those cheap guys, I think uh, Giants have upside. That was a ton of downside, but the downside is built into their price already. So um, if you if you do kind of find yourself and 
one of these drafts that you often do where you missed out on the quarterbacks you were targeting or you you missed out on the stacks a lot of times you, it's it's tough to stack if some if you get sniped a couple times um, the giants can kind of save you in those scenarios if if you're willing to take the plunge on them yeah i uh and, and i think that uh, kenny galladay uh, my comparison is what plaxico burris did for eli manning you know getting that big target uh daniel manning likes to throw the ball up and, you know, he hasn't had anyone, you know, Slayton was pretty good to throw it up to. But, you know, the, the one of the reasons, one of the few reasons I'm down on Barkley this year is Daniel Jones isn't the, a drop-it-off type of quarterback. No. He's going to try and make plays downfield, and I think Kenny Galladay is going to help him. Um, I guess I, I, I lied. There is one more question. All right. So since we talked about the teams that you think are going to do better, um, are there one or two teams that you think are being overdrafted? Um, I mean, I, I have a lot of concerns about the uh, Packers just because obviously the Aaron Rodgers situation, but that's just a team that they played out of their, their mind last year um, in terms of scoring across the board. Devontae Adams put up historical touchdown numbers. Robert Tanyan put up touchdown numbers that haven't been seen since Julian Julius Thomas with the Broncos and and not before that and we all know Aaron Rodgers is great but he was putting up very mediocre passing uh, touchdown rate numbers in the couple years leading up to last year and last year was his highest scoring rate of his career so with just a team and in, in flux and, and us not knowing what's going on with Rodgers even if he does come back I, I think that's just a really scary team overall um I mean, to a lesser extent, we're not drafting a ton of these guys, but I think people are, are really overvaluing the upside of the Vikings offense as a whole. Um, I think Justin Jefferson as a standalone player is fantastic. I don't know if the ancillary pieces are, are, are going to be um, as productive. Adam Thielen was extremely touchdown dependent. Kirk Cousins' price is still cheap so people are accounting for a potential drop off but just as a whole, Smith I, is going early. I, I, yeah i think that's just an offense overall that um there there can be a lot less touchdown equity across the board than people are giving them credit for i'll throw one back at you the team that that i've been a little worried about is right near where you live the chargers <laughs> yeah. um you know i i feel like herbert just you know people you know he played amazing but we know it wasn't a well-coached team right. and that they've had a ton of, you know, one of the really important small things that I think most people don't look at is defenses that are going to get worse and defenses that are going to get better and how that can affect the offense. And I look at that Chargers team as a team that's had a ton of defensive talent that underperformed and had injuries. Now you've got a defensive coach coming in and I just wonder, it, you know, they might be a better team, sure. but a, a less high-scoring offense uh, because the defense improves. Yeah, I, um, I've, I've had kind of trouble valuing the Chargers. They're, they're not a team that I'm just naturally finding um, on my rosters a lot. There, there's these you kind of get into the flow of, of these these best ball drafts, just drafts in general, and. There's just always so many players that uh, I find around their highly drafted guys that um, I would rather have. Um, I mean, just starting with Justin Herbert, we have uh, he's kind of going in that in that 
Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, um, Russell Wilson range, and and all of those guys. Obviously, Jalen Hurts doesn't have a track record, but a lot more money. But, but he has legs. A lot better. Herbert's going to give you a little bit on the ground, but nowhere near as much as Hurts. And then um, we know what, what uh, from a fantasy perspective, what Dak and Russell Wilson could give us. And, and Russell Wilson going, I mean, it's a whole other conversation, but Russell Wilson going as, as the QB nine, depending on wherever, kind of in that range is, is egregious to me. I mean, most efficient passer of, of this generation. Um, so when, when Dak, Russ, and Herbert are there, I'm just never – taking Herbert over those guys. And that's kind of a trickle down because I am focusing on tournaments. I, when I go to look at who am I stacking with my players, Herbert's not on my team. So I'm just naturally not targeting his pass catchers in these tie breaking situations. Yeah. And I love Austin Eckler and full PPR. I think where he's going at the end of round one, middle to end of round one, early second round is, is fine. When yeah. you, you know, I don't think that people account for half PPR as much as they should. They just jump onto underdog. Uh, but I feel like Eckler is going the, almost the same place in half PPR that he does in full PPR. The one guy on underdog that I have no problem taking is Keenan Allen. I, I don't feel that he is getting, um, I feel like he's going to get his regardless. Sure. And he's got such a great floor. And if he if he puts up some touchdowns, he has a great ceiling. Um, any last words, TJ? Uh, I, I would just encourage anybody that is interested in, in underdog or FFPC, these tournaments that are running, uh, we're doing a, a ton of, of coverage uh, on 4 for 4. Uh, it's not just the running backs. Uh, roster construction in general, um, how we're building tournament uh, lineups, how we're drafting in these best ball leagues. So we've been hitting the, the best ball content really hard. Uh, so I would encourage everyone to, to check out either the written content, content, the YouTube or, or the podcast, because uh, it's it's been a fun off season already for best ball. And, and there's still a long way to go. The tournament's very far from full. Yeah. I, um, I when I saw your article, I perused some of the other things that were there. I've got a lot of catching up to do. I've always had a lot of respect for four for four. Um, and you, of course, as the senior editor, thank you so much for coming on TJ. Maybe we'll catch you uh, in DFS season. Um, that's going to do it for this podcast, folks. Thank you. Uh, thanks to TJ for joining us. And thanks to our friends over at the FFPC. You can go to myffpc.com, get an account, get in there. Get into underdog. Um, these tournaments are more fun than uh, you can shake a stick. And with that $5 tournament coming on underdog, I'm going to be there a lot more often because uh, my budget is getting uh, kind of hammered on FFPC. So that's going to do it, folks. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.